Amen. Check it out. This is Vegas. And uh, one night here in Vegas, apparently this uh, burglar broke into this house. And he was shining this flashlight all around. And he was looking for valuables. And, and soon he picked up this DVD player and he placed it into his sack. And as soon as he did that, listen, a strange, almost disembodied voice uh, echoed from the dark and said this, Jesus is watching you. Well, yeah, the burglar, he nearly jumped out of his skin. And so he clicked out his flashlight and he just froze. Right? And so he heard nothing more after a bit, so he shook his head and promised himself a nice vacation after the next big score. And so he clicked the flashlight back on again, and he began searching for more valuables, right? But just as he pulled out the stereos so he could disconnect the wires there, clear as a bell, he heard it again. Jesus is watching you. Yeah, so he's freaked out now. And so he's shining the flashlight all around frantically. He's looking for the source of the voice. And, and, and finally, in the corner of a room, the flashlight beam came to rest on a parrot. And so he hissed at the parrot. He says, did you say that? And the parrot said, yep, I'm trying to warn you. And the burglar, he relaxes. <laughs> Come on, warn me, huh? Who are you? And the parrot replied, Moses. <laughs> and the burglar laughed. He said, Come on, what kind of stupid people would name a parrot Moses? And the bird answered, probably the same kind of people that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was watching. Yeah, had to help that out for a couple of you. But anyway, hey, how many guys are going to try that trick? You know, forget that uh, burglar alarm system. Just no. But seriously, how many guys would say at that point that burglar was in some serious trouble? You know what I'm saying? Woo, I tell you what. And folks, believe it or not, you know the theme of our study. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that some Christians get into this kind of same serious trouble all the time. And listen, it's not when the real Jesus is watching you, because he, he does, okay? Uh, it's this, it's when they consider spending time with Jesus as if it were a Rottweiler chasing you. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. As we've been seeing, folks, this is the obvious question. How in the world did it get this way? How did it become something scary, something horrible to spend time with God, the creator of the universe? I mean, it didn't start off that way when we got saved. I would hope not, right? I mean, when we first got saved, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We, we longed to be with God. We loved God, right? And so, see, that's the issue, guys. Uh, and, and what we've been seeing, folks, is the reason why it gets this way, what I've learned over the years, is simply this. All it takes is just this one act. When you lose sight of what we really have in Jesus Christ, what he really died on the cross for, and that was a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he died on the cross for, not this churchianity stuff. Okay? And I'm telling you, once we lose sight of that, just like that, it doesn't take a week or a month, just like that, overnight, your once vibrant, loving, awesome walk with Jesus just turned into that dry, stale, boring, man-made religion called churchianity. As we've been seeing, folks, this is a horrible, wretched disease. It's rotten, rotten to the core. And unfortunately, it seems to be spreading across the American church. Okay, unfortunately. Therefore, to stave off this horrible, wretched disease called churchianity, uh, we're going to continue in our study, Renewing Your Faith. Turn to somebody and say, hey, it's time to renew your faith. Okay, it's time to renew your faith. And what we're doing is revisiting the so-called basics of Christianity. You know, the things we do as Christians. Okay, the basis of Christianity, but this time through a renewed set of eyes. And we're looking at those things again through the eyes of a relationship. A personal, loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe. Why? Thanks for asking, Joey. Because that's what we got. Right? That's what we got. We need to be reminded of that. Don't forget that. Okay? And the first basic thing we saw we need to get reacquainted with was a renewed prayer life. Okay? The second thing was a renewed worship. Okay? The third thing was a renewed service. And last time, if you were here, we saw the fourth thing was a renewed Bible study. 
Okay, and there we saw just the first question we could pose is why? Why do we study the Bible? Well, what we saw there is the reason why we study the Bible is because, hello, it came from God. Okay? This book came from God. This came from the creator of the universe. Woo! I mean, you would think that would be enough to get you in there. Okay? And then when you get in there, we saw that, listen, it didn't just come from God. That through Jesus, we become the children of God. And so when you get in that book, you see all the love letters that God wrote towards us. All his promises, all his great feelings that he has towards you and I as children just became applicable to us. It's all there if you just read it. It's encouraging. And then we saw in Joshua there, if you recall, if you do what God says, because again, name one command that's not for our good. They're all for our good. When you get in there and you simply do what he says, you are prosperous and successful in all you do. Why? Because God's way is the best way to have the best possible life this side of heaven. Amen? We forget that. Not the world's way. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? But that's just the first question. The second question we need to look at when it comes to renewing our Bible study is, all right, then what is it? What, that we, we know why. Because, hello, this came from God. But what is it? Well, thanks for asking, Robert. You're on the ball once again. Uh, let's, uh, let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. All right. We're actually going to read, I think, pretty much the whole chapter here because I want to get you the context of the final portion that I really want to deal with. But you need to get the context, okay, of what Bible study really is. Okay, let's take a look there. 2 Timothy. If you find 1 Timothy, what do you do? Go to the right. Go to the right. Man, whew, I was a little concerned there for a second. Uh, but that's right. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, verses 1 through 17, okay? Paul's going to talk about uh, the last days. I don't know about you, but reading what we're about ready to read, I'm kind of thinking, you don't want to be uh, in the seven-year tribulation. You don't want to be in the last days, okay? It's going to be horrible. And I think we can see why uh, it's going to be so horrible. People are going to reject God's word, okay? That's just one of the aspects of that. But let's take a look there. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, But mark this, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. Well, how do you know? Well, listen to this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They're going to be boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents. They're going to be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. They're treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, can I tell you something? Just turn on your TV. Every single one of those is happening right now. That means we're in the last days. But that's a side note. Having the form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. These are the kind that worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're always learning, but they're never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as John's and Jambres who opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected their faith. But they will not get very far... Because you can't fool God. As is in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, Paul starts to go to Timothy. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. He says, now you, however, Christian, something different needs to be going on here. First of all, you know all about my teaching, Paul says, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Notice those are completely opposite of the other list. Okay, persecution, suffering, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Listen, it isn't just that that whole list of, of immoral behavior, ungodly behavior, is happening right now. But when you're out there living a godly life in Jesus Christ, your life phew, illuminates that. 
And what do they do? <sighs> they attack it. They want to shut the light out. Yet we're called to be a light of the world, okay? So he continues on. He says this though. He says, listen, uh, you're going to be persecuted. And he says, while evil men and apostles will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, it's going to be a horrible time. But as for you, Christian, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, okay, and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from in infancy you have known what? The holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. And I said all that context to get to this classic passage. All scriptures, what? God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now once you grab the context of what's going on here, we clearly see the Bible obviously warns us in the last days. This one's an easy one to see. That in the last days, the moral fabric of our society is going to completely break down, right? And a good, good thing we see no signs of that happening. Yeah, whatever, it's all over, okay? It's going to be a horrible time. Why? Because he says there, people don't want to listen to the scripture. In fact, he calls out a couple examples there and say they actually reject it. They resist it to their own detriment. Okay, again, God's way is the best way always. Okay, is the deal. And so Paul tells Timothy that, listen, the Bible is not only coming from God, it's God-breathed. Listen, it is useful. It's good. Okay, and he says it's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is not for our bad, it's for our good. Okay, uh, gee whiz, I wonder what we can do to stave off moral decay. Get in the Bible, okay, is what's going on. And this is why I got you in the context, I set you up. This is why I think Paul drilled it home into Timothy's head in the previous chapter, chapter 2, that when you get into the Bible, don't just acknowledge and stare at it and go, wow, that's a useful book. I probably should be getting in there sometime. He says, when you get into it, I mean really get into it. And that's what he's saying here in the previous chapter, I believe, to Timothy. Here's what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15. He says, do your best. Pay attention to that. We're going to focus on that Greek word. Uh, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed of what? One who correctly handles the word of truth is what he's talking about there. Now, here's what's neat there. The phrase there, do your best, is actually the Greek word spudadzo. Let's say that. Doesn't that sound like a fancy Italian ice cream at the Venetian? Yes, yeah, give me a cup of that spudazzo. <laughs> Doesn't it? But it's not. Let me tell you what it is. Okay, it means, listen, spudazzo. It means to make haste, to exert oneself, to give diligence to, i.e. we say study. Okay, let me say it again. Spudazzo means to make haste, to exert oneself, to give diligence to, okay? And so Paul makes it clear that, listen, if you want to present yourself to God as one approved, pleasing God, let alone stave off moral decay, he said, listen there, what you got to get busy doing is don't just stare at the Bible, don't just look at the Bible, you got to why? You got to spudazzo that baby. You got to get in there and study that thing, right? And folks, believe it or not, I'm, I couldn't wait to get to this one. Believe it or not, did you know Bible study is something we all can do? Turn to somebody and say, oh, I can Bible study. I'm telling you, it's easy. Listen, listen. Let's break it down. Let me give you the proof in case you don't believe me. How many guys can exert yourself? No, no, let me translate that for you. That means moving. Go ahead, try it. Huh? You guys are professional exerters. 
Huh? You're exerting up a storm. That's awesome. How many guys can make haste? Now, not paste. That's my cooking. You'll find that out at the chili cook-off here soon enough. But no, it's haste. Let me translate that part. That simply means to hurry up and get after it. You know, like uh, Friday when it was your turn at the Wii bowling tournament. We ain't got up there, grab that controller. and Yeah, you should have been there. It was pretty cool. Okay, the next one. Let me, uh, one more there. Break it down for you. How many guys can give diligence to something? Now, you know who you are out there. Diligence is no different than what you did the last 14 weeks in advance, practicing every single night, trying to beat the king. King, you gave diligence to that. You, and it still didn't work, did it? But anyway, that's right. I digress. Now listen, that's all Bible study is. That's all it is. Listen, you just exert yourself. You make haste. You give diligence to, listen, listen, here's the whole point. Just like you naturally do with all kinds of other stuff without even thinking about it, except God says, put it towards this. That's all Bible study is. It's not complicated. And yet that's what we do, okay? We think for some reason, Bible study. That's only for those people who were born in a seminary. And they've been going there for 9,320 years. Or no, those brainiac bookworms. Those people have an IQ so high that I can't even count the number because of my IQ. But no, that's not what the scripture says. That's not what Paul said. He said, it's just, Bible says he's making haste. It's giving diligence to, just like you do with everything else without even thinking about it. Okay? In fact, let me break it down even simpler in the terms of a relationship. Because I, I really think, especially this one, we, it's just like, well, that's, yeah, you're a Christian. You're supposed to study the Bible. And, and we miss this relationship aspect. It's like, what? Let me break it for you. Bible study... Chrome translation, in the context of a relationship, listen, is simply excitedly discovering information about someone or something that's important to you. That's all it is. Bible study is simply excitedly, yeah, discovering information about something or someone that's important to you. And of course, in the context of this, that something or someone is God. That's it. That you're just excitedly discovering information about God. And so it's not complex, folks. It's absolutely easy. In fact, let me, let me demonstrate again. Just like with prayer, just like with worship, just like with serving, God picks something all of us can do. Yes, even Bible study, okay? Listen to this. For instance, how many guys can read about some particular topic or some person or personage that you consider interesting or important? Raise your hand. Okay, praise God. Okay, guess what? You know how to study the Bible whether you realize it or not. Turn to somebody and say, you brainiac, you. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> right? Hey, how many guys can read and digest a multitude of facts or figures about a particular topic that you find interesting? Raise your hand. Right? Well, you know how to study the Bible, okay? Turn to somebody and say, you bookworm. We're going to get you some glasses of tape right here in the middle, man. man. Let me give you one more, folks. I'm telling you, I've got to break this down for you. How many guys have been able to passionately read for hours and hours. Spend a whole afternoon on that book you just couldn't wait to get into. And if somebody dare make the mistake of knocking on that door. <laughs> well, guess what? You know how to study the Bible, whether you realize it or not. Turn to somebody and say, you Einstein, you. <laughs> the IQ off the chart. Folks, that's all Bible study is. Nothing more, nothing less. We are the ones who make it complicated. It's just excitedly discovering information about something or someone important to you. In the context of this, it's God. And what's more exciting than that? Okay? That's all it is, okay? And this is precisely the point. Surely if there's ever one book on the planet 
that we are blocking all oodles of time. I mean, every single day, studying it, we're memorizing it, we're reading it passionately, hours after. It's got to be the Bible, right? I mean, this came from God. This is the creator of the universe. It's got all the great promises we saw last week. It's it's encouraging. It helps us to be prosperous and successful. All we do, this is what we're doing every single day. Got to do it again. It had it for sure this week, but it didn't work. No, I wish it was. Okay, hey folks, when it comes to studying the Bible, come on, let's be honest. In the American church, man, it does, it's not something we look forward to. It's not something we exert ourselves to. We're diligent. We look for excuses of not having to do. Okay? And folks, I'm telling you, once you get here, you've got, you could deny it all you want, you've got that disease. Blech, churchianity. And it starts to produce a couple horrible side effects. And the first side effect, when you got that attitude towards the scripture, whoo, it sets yourself up for some major messes. I'm serious, man. It's just like you're your own worst enemy. Okay, when you do this about the Bible, okay? I don't know if you've noticed or not, folks, but did you know our lack of biblical knowledge, okay, sometimes comes back to bite us? Have you noticed that? In fact, let me give you one example. I wish I was making this up, but this actually happened. I'm not making it up. Let's take a look at what happened to this guy. Let's take a look. I was in church a few years ago, I was in this big gig, it was like 1,500 people and it went really, it went pretty good, I did okay and uh, there was a big line of people asking for my autograph after the show and I'm like, I was homeschooled, I could do this. So the first lady, she walks up to me, she goes, would you put your favorite Bible verse underneath your name for me? And I was like, uh-huh. So I took it and I was like, Tim, my favorite verse is Psalm 34 verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good, happier are those who take refuge in Him. But that night I forgot the verse. I just blank. You know how sometimes your mind blanks? You know, like when you were dressing today. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just like, what am I doing? And so anyway, I was like, I had to pick. I can't just write the Bible, you know. I knew it was a psalm, so the psalm, I just picked a psalm. So I picked, okay, Psalm 38.7. said, that can't be a bad one. So I, like an idiot, I did them all like that. So Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38.7. <laughs> I'm driving home that night, and I'm like, oh, no. I hope that was a good verse. Oh, Lord, help me. So I get home and I look up Psalm 38.7 in my Bible. And to my horror, it says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Yeah, yuck it up, Christians. That's real funny, isn't it? Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Did you know that's in the Bible? I do now. And I signed it a hundred times and sent it out into my own little mission field. Take the word of my loin problem! Because you know they looked it up when they went home. You know they did. You see a lady, come on, y'all. We're going to read this first. Turn the TVs off. Sit around. I'm going to read it. It's his life first. I think I got it here. Shh. Lo, I have a painful disease. I shook his hand. Can <laughs> you believe that? Some of you don't get that. Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. You ain't gonna see that verse cross-stitched on a pillow. <laughs> Unless it's a special pillow, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Can you believe that actually happened? <laughs> 
thought the whole point is this. Some of you guys would say that guy's lack of biblical knowledge came back and bit him. You know what I'm saying? Kind of the rough way, okay? And here's the point, folks. How many messes in life could you and I avoid if we just get back to Bible study, okay? Knowing the Bible more. And granted, I mean, that, you know, example is not only true, but it was funny, right? But folks, just be honest uh, for a moment there. Sometimes the messes we create in life, uh, they're not that funny at all, are they? Okay? And so this is why the Bible says when we get busy studying it, hey, listen, it creates less messes, not more. And this is what we need to keep in mind. This is what the psalmist uh, encourages you and I. Psalm 19, 2, 5, 9, 93, and 105 hike. It says this, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him, God, with all their heart. They do no wrong. Why? Because they follow his ways. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have preserved my life. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. In other words, the psalmist clearly tells you and I, Listen, Christian, the Bible keeps me out of dark and it creates less messes. That's what he's saying there. If you're sick and tired of creating messes in life, if you're sick and tired as a Christian walking around in the dark, keep going down the wrong path, ending up in shameful, rotten situations, what do you got to do? Get back to studying the Bible. Not just once in a while. Don't just stare at it. But really get into it with all your heart. Don't forget it. Being steadfast because it's for our benefit, not our torture. It's good. Okay? It creates less messes. The second horrible side effect, if you're actually there as a Christian and you're making up excuses, anything that you can think of as to why you can't get in the Bible, you got churchianity disease. And then not only listen, creates more messes. The second thing is you start to get all dried up. Okay, this is a kind of a Christian, Christianese word that we use, right? You ever use that? Man, I, I just feel like I'm in a desert experience with the word of God, you know, I just, my, feels like Jesus is, a, a God's a million miles away. You ever been there? And it does happen, okay? And, but the Bible says, listen, what makes matters worse is we not only don't go to the Bible so we create more messes, listen, okay, we make matters worse by turning to other things than God in his word when the trials hit. And do you think that helps anything? No, it makes it worse. In fact, I want to give you a visual. It's about as goofy when you turn to something else other than the word of God for relief, it's about as goofy as what this guy's doing. Let's take a look at his behavior. Every day we're faced with choices. Every day we have to decide. We have to decide what's going to fill our day, what things we're going to give our attention to. And sometimes the things we choose seem harmless enough and are all right for us at first, but still just a little off, not as satisfying as we thought they'd be but we're not quite sure. So we try more and more until pretty soon we're consuming ourselves with trying to make this harmless at first choice fill a place that it will never fill, that it was never meant to fill, that it can't fill. And all the while, the answer to our need, to us being fully satisfied, is right in front of us. We just need to choose to take it and drink. Wow. All right, Tom, I'm going to try to be gentle with this one, but uh, how many guys would say that guy's probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer? You know what I'm saying there? Woo-wee. Maybe he's a few clowns short of a circus or a 
A few fries short of a Happy Meal, his peas done slid out of his casserole, the cheese has slid off his cracker. He couldn't pour water out of a boot with the instructions on the heel. He's about as smart as fish bait, his chimney's clogged, he forgot to pay his brain bill. He fell out, he fell out the goofball tree and he hit every branch on the way down. His intellect is rivaled by garden tools. And his wheels are spinning, but his hamster's done dead. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be kind. Okay, so what's going on here? He's kind of like one of those people. Let's just have a moment of truth here at sunrise. It's kind of like one of those people that you're related with, but you always try to keep a secret. You know what I'm saying? Which I don't know about you, but I've always found interesting because listen to this. I kid you not. There's a stat out there that says one out of every three Americans is suffering from some form of mental illness. So think about that. If you think of right now of two of your best friends and they're okay, it's you. <laughs> Turn to somebody and encourage them with this word today. You're somebody else's weirdo. <laughs> and so am I, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but seriously, folks, how many guys would say, give me a break? I mean, if this, if this really happened, this guy, he wasn't just drinking sand. Come on. Okay, your cheese really has slid off your crack. What are you doing? It's not just he was drinking sand. He was drinking sand when there's perfectly good water right there. Now, believe it or not, folks, the Bible says you and I are doing the exact same thing. When we turn to something else other than his word in our time of need. And this is what Jeremiah says this. He, he was like absolutely shocked by it. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 12 to 13 says, Be appalled at this, uh, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. Ooh, uh, uh, is what he's saying here. Declares the Lord. Listen, why? Because my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the what? Spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold the water. And so what Jeremiah is telling us, folks, is listen, when we're digging uh, this crazy, uh, 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 we're going to the world for different things other than the Bible, listen, what we are doing in essence, you may not see it, you may deny it, you may not uh, see it right away, but spiritually from God's vantage point, you're saying, give me this sand. The Bible's right before you. The living spring of water the oasis, that which will refresh you in your trials, that will give you the wisdom what to do, it's right there, but you sit there and just keep sucking down sand. And folks, tell me we don't do this. Tell me we don't get tricked into do this. When tough times hit, when it does feel like everything's falling around apart, around us, what do we do? Do we turn to God? Do we turn to Him and read His Word? Do we seek His guidance? Do we get serious and exert and give diligence to Bible study and refresh ourselves? No. We start sucking down sand. We read the newspaper. We turn on the TV. We grab a book, any book, as long as it's not that boring Bible. And we wonder why we have a desert-like experience with Jesus. Can I ask the Common sense question at that point. Who's pouring on the sand? You stick in the word and it stays refreshed all the time. Amen? Okay, but that's not all. The third basic question we need to ask ourselves. If we're going to get rid of this church, all right then, we know why. We know what it is. But let's break it down. How do we study the Bible? Okay? Well, folks, once again, it's not that hard to understand if you're not suffering from churchianity and you look at it through the eyes of relationship. And believe it or not, I believe that that's one of the things that Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees. Let's take a look at that passage. He calls them out in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. He says to the Pharisees, Jesus speaking, he says, you study the scriptures diligently, and that's good. But their motive's all messed up. Okay? 
Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus. Yet you have refused to come to me to have life. Okay? And so Jesus here, he sets the Pharisees straight. And it wasn't just knowing the scriptures is how you get to heaven. It's in knowing the person, Jesus Christ. Trusting in his work on the cross is how you get to heaven. Right? It's not just, oh, if I just study the Bible, because can I tell you something? I can tell you testimonies of people who have graduated in doctorates and seminaries and they're still not born again. Just studying this doesn't save you. That's what the Pharisees were doing with the Word of God. Okay, with the law. And Jesus said, you're missing the whole point, okay? And again, hopefully nobody's making that same mistake here today. But here's my point. We may not make that first mistake of thinking it's just knowing the Bible. Oh, I go to heaven. I think we do make the second mistake, though, that Jesus uh, clarified there. And he said, listen, the, the important part was the scriptures testify or speak about who? Jesus. Okay, in other words, when you read the Bible, this book is a book all about Jesus. Okay, Old and New Testament, right? From Gen and think about it, from Genesis 3.15, right? From the great promise that after Adam and Eve sinned, that God would send the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. Way back in Genesis. You get through the Old Testament and throughout the, whole, the priesthood, the tabernacle and all the priestly things, the dietary laws. All of that typified, pointing toward Jesus Christ. You got King David and his kingdom. The one from the lineage of David would come. You have Jesus, of course, in the New Testament. But even at the very last book, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And a time with the new heavens and a new earth and no more sin. It's all about Jesus. So when we study the scripture, that's our mindset. This is not some entrance exam into heaven. I disagree, strongly agree, or favorably. No. When we're in the Bible, we're going in with the mindset, it's all about Jesus. Listen, which means God has left a resource behind for us that we can get to know Jesus better before we see him face to face. Isn't that awesome? Okay, and that's why the first way we don't study the Bible is with this attitude of carelessness. Okay, and that's right to help illustrate the foolishness of doing this in our personal relationship with God. We're going to look at through the eyes of another personal relationship with the Mike and Carol show. Come on down, guys. Yay, get it for Mike and Carol. All right, and uh, we're going to take a look here. I'm going to get them all mic'd up here. And uh, what Mike and Carol are going to do is, uh, Carol, she's been away on a business trip for a long time, okay? And, uh, but the good thing is, she wrote, Mike, 66 love letters, okay, and uh, 66 love letters uh, to let them, uh, you know, to work on a relationship and to improve while she was gone, okay, and to encourage him. So, how are we doing on the mics? Mike's all ready to go? Hello. Yep, yep, yep. All right, nope. we're good to yep. go. Okay, so, and, uh, so, so she's going to come home finally. Hello? From her, hello, Mike. I'm glad you're there. Uh, <laughs> give me a hug. I love it. <laughs> it's on video too, buddy. All right, so, so she's coming home finally from this long business trip. She wrote the letters, and she's going to see him, be glad to see him, but uh, she's uh, going to confront him on, hey, how'd you like my letters? And he's going to have this attitude of carelessness. And let's see how it goes. You guys tell me. Hi, honey. I'm home. I really missed you. I, sorry I was gone such a long time, but I did leave you love letters to read. 
Yeah, yeah, the, those love letters, uh, yeah. You, you did read them, right? Well, I, I uh, uh, you know, uh, I was really busy, honey. I, uh, between work and, and golfing and fishing, and uh, I, I really didn't have time. And, but but I won $1,000 at the Reno in a poker tournament. We can go out to have a nice dinner. And, and you know what else I did, honey? I took all the love letters and I put them on the coffee table so when people come in, they can look at them and see how much I love you. Isn't that impressive? Impressive? I would have been more impressed if you would have read them. Why did you just put them on the table for other people to see? And then you say you were too busy? Oh, really? I mean, you, I came in and you're reading magazines and watching TV. You had to have some time to read them. I tried to write them so we could improve our relationship while I was gone. Does this mean we're not going to dinner? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. That was you guys. Wow. Man. Give me a break. I mean, what a husband, huh? Sorry, Mike, but uh, man, you don't have time to read your wife's love letters, but you can read the newspaper and watch TV, some other thing. And, and the, I'm like, come on, what are you doing? You stack them all in a big old giant pile there on the coffee table for people to stare out. You know, great husband, okay? And you know exactly where I'm going. In our, remember, this is a book about Jesus. There's 66 books in here. They're love letters from God. It's all about Jesus. And we don't have time to get into them. But we can read that or watch that TV. We could read a book, any book, newspaper, anything and everything but the Bible. And then get this. I don't know if you've noticed this. And then we have the giant family Bible. You know that big one that you got to truck in with the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and where do you put that thing? On the coffee table. Or if you have a big enough fireplace, you put it on the mantle. Now, you never read it. You don't touch that thing. It's just there for people to stare at and see how spiritual you are. What in the world good is that? You're supposed to get in there and read it. Amen? All right. The next way that we don't study the Bible is with an attitude of aimlessness. All right? So once again, Carol's going to come home and uh, she's going to confront Mike on her uh, love letters and he's going to have this attitude of aimlessness and let's see how that goes with her. Honey, I'm home. I missed you so much. Sorry I had to be away so long, but I did write love letters to show you how much I love you. Yeah, yeah, the, those love letters. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, your turn. You did read them, right? Well, I, I started to, you know, but I, uh, I really started to, honey, but I, I really didn't understand them. Uh, you know, I'm a man. Okay, and I'm not into the mushy things like that, you know. I and uh, so I, I, I really didn't read them, uh, and, and I'm sorry, but, but but maybe I ought to take a class on how to read love letters. Take a class? What do you think? Yeah, take a class in love letters. I don't think so. I don't know what you have to do. Maybe women are not the same as men, but to take a class to understand how much I love you, really. I That's guess, ridiculous. I guess this really means we're not going out to dinner, huh? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Give it up for that one. Man, all right. So here you go. You say you can't read your wife's love letters because they're too difficult to understand. And so you just quit. And you never get around to doing it. And then you talk about an insult saying, well, maybe you actually need a class 
to read a love letter. How about just pick one up and get started, right Carol? There you go, right? And so here's the point, folks. Why do we do that with God? We're doing the exact same thing, okay? We say, well, I, I, I can't read the Bible because I just, I just can't understand it. You know, I, I just need to take a class. Hey, here's a nifty thought. How about just pick it up and start reading? And just like anything that's new in life, the more you read it, the more you begin to understand. But get in there and just read it, okay? All those are excuses to keep you out of it. The third and final one that we're going to take a look at is Mike's going to uh, uh, be confronted by Carol, except this time he's going to do this attitude of impressiveness. Ooh. Right? And let's see how this flies uh, with Carol one more time. Honey, I'm home. I sure did miss you. But I'm sorry I was gone so long. But I did write love letters so that we can have our relationship grow stronger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those love letters. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, those love letters. You did read them, right? Well, you know, I, honey, I started reading one this morning before I went to work. And, and I, I, you know, and, and last night, get this, honey, last night I read 15 of them. Okay. I beat my old record of 14. What do you think of that? Well, um, I guess it's good that you read them, but... What did you get from them? Do you, do you understand how much I love you? Do you know anything more about me? Well, yeah, yeah well, no. Um, uh, I'm, I'm getting myself into a pickle in this one. Um, but, but, honey, just think. I, I beat my old record of, of, of 14, okay? I, I made 15 of them. Uh, and, you know, I'm your man. Come on. I'm your, I beat my record. Just think. Isn't that great? Uh, no, not really. I mean, what did you learn? What did you bring about? I mean, I wrote them with all my heart and soul to deepen our marriage, and you didn't take time to even bother with them. Mike, I don't think you're the man. Not at all. I think I'm in trouble. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Good job, guys. We'll keep praying for you, Mike. If you need a ride, just let me know. But, uh, <laughs> whoa, man, I tell you what, what's going on in there? Okay, so at least, praise God, he got into the letters this time, and he was reading them. But, boy, you talk about missing the point. You don't just read them as fast as you can to cram it in to get over with, and somehow you're just beating a record, trying to impress her. Woo! The whole point of reading it is to understand it, to take the time to digest it and absorb it, right? I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. But sometimes, isn't that the way we approach the scripture? We're in this breakneck speed and we, we have to brag about it in Sunday school. I read 15 chapters today. Last week I only made it to 14. Man, I'm a spiritual Christian. I always love to ask this question. What did you learn? I don't know, but I beat my record. I'm so spiritual, man. Because just two weeks ago I was down to 12. I'm up to 15. What did you learn? I don't know, but I beat my record. It's, why are you doing this? This is a book about Jesus. It's not just memorizing a bunch of factoids. It's not trying to impress him. Excuse me. He wants you to learn about him. You're missing the whole point. Now, folks, I'm telling you, if we're going to get in closing, get rid of this goofball disease called churchianity, listen, it's high time we in the church get back to true Bible study and studying it for what it is. It's 66 love letters from God that we have the privilege of deepening our relationship with him before we get to heaven. 
And folks, I'm telling you the good news is once we get back to that, listen, it doesn't just deepen our walk with God. It doesn't just soothe our pain. It doesn't just give us the ability to make purpose and value out of all of our trials. And God does something significant with us. But it gives us the ability to be a mouthpiece to share that same information with other people so that it could bless them as well. Like it did with this guy. Let's take a look at Nick. I wasn't ready. I have no arms and no legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool, I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. And here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know? And there were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms and legs, I wish I had arms and legs, I wish I had arms and legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am, am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. One more. I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long this storm is going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. Being patient is beautiful. I tell you, it's the hardest thing. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. You know, it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders. It is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home and angry at others. It's scary to know how many people actually feel like they're worth nothing. Every single girl right here, right now, I want you to know that you are beautiful. You are gorgeous just the way you are. And you boys, you're the man.
that up there for a second. No arms, no legs, no worries. How in the world can he do that? How can he literally have no worries? How, how can he have no worries and speak with such great joy? How can he speak with such great authority about the things of God and encourage people like that? If you know anything about Nick and you know his testimony, and if you're paying attention, what did he have right next to his little chicken drumstick, he called it? It was the Bible. And part of his testimony, I don't have time to go into, but part of his testimony is a young boy, I believe, as eight years old, he was about ready to commit suicide in the bathtub because he thought that his life had no value and it had no meaning and purpose being born like that. And it was God's word that saved him and encouraged him that God can still do something splendid in that. And so now he has a global ministry where he goes around and he encourages people from that same message that came from where? Right here. Can you imagine how different Las Vegas would be? Let alone our whole planet. If we would just take the time to dive into God's word just like Nick and get busy sharing God's 66 love letters to a lost and dying world so that people can know that in Jesus Christ, God can do something splendid with your life, no matter how messed up it's been. And that even people like, after what Mike has done, he's still the man. Amen? Let's get busy sharing that with the people around us. We need to study it ourselves first. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. 
uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes 
uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.